Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is the High Commissioner of Jamaica to South Africa, Joan Thomas Edwards, who is concurrently accredited to 18 other countries from Southern and East Africa. Welcome to the show, High Commissioner. Thank you very much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Hi, Commissioner. Your career has seen you posted to Pretoria, London, New York, amongst others. In 2006, you actually established Jamaica's very first High Commission in South Africa. Now, 17 years on, you're holding the reins. Does the shape of the High Commission today echo your vision that you had for it initially? Well, thank you for that question. I often tell people that Returning as High Commissioner, it's a thrill. It's a, um, it's almost like I, I feel like I have a second chance. The, when I came to establish the mission in 2006, it was general, the general remit to strengthen that bilateral relation between Jamaica and South Africa. And, you know, it was building, pioneering, setting up the High Commission, the, the actual nuts of both, nuts and bolts of the High Commission, trying to establish links with South Africa, getting on South Africans to understand who Jamaicans are and that we're not just a, an island out there. People thought that Jamaica was somewhere in Africa. So we had to dispel that. So we had to, to work on those issues. Since then, we've had memorandums of understanding. We've had um, bilateral cooperation programs established with South Africa, which is some progress. So we have looked at areas like sports, tourism, arts and culture. Those are the main areas that we have established. Memorandum of understanding. So my remit now is to build and to, make, to activate these because for a while they had become a bit dormant. So, so the vision is still there. So it's just for me to move the needle a little further to make sure we fulfill our aims and that both Jamaica and South Africa and benefits. But one of the things I want to achieve is to ensure that the people-to-people cooperation, we have that be a bit stronger. I'm still thinking that we should see more Jamaicans coming to South Africa to visit. We should have more South Africans going to Jamaica, see Jamaica as a tourist destination. There are some, but we one of the things that we want to achieve is having a charter, at least, to our South African airlines, having a charter come between Jamaica and South Africa, at least as a start, to build some kind of momentum. The other thing that we want to see, as I mentioned, tourism. Both countries have very strong tourism products. We want to strengthen that area in terms of how we can cooperate. Jamaica can offer a lot to the world in terms of tourism because we are a number one destination for tourism, as you know, worldwide. So we, we can share these practices. The tourism products are different. Um, South Africa is definitely a leader in terms of adventure tourism, you know, the ecotourism, the wildlife tourism. Not only South Africa, but Southern Africa. When I visited Namibia, it's the same thing. Tourism is one of the low-hanging fruits, and I think we can cooperate. Jamaica can contribute by helping to build capacities in terms of training, 
human resource development in that area. We are um, good. We win awards for these things. So it's something we can share with the world in terms of that. So tourism is something we are looking at. There, Jamaica just established the international headquarters for tourism, resilience, and sustainability just February of this year. And we are willing to share with the world um, that each country establishes their own tourism resilience center. So we have been on a campaign doing that, our Minister of Tourism. And your Minister of Tourism is also well aware of it. <laughs> Trade is another area. It's, I, I mentioned it last because it's something that, that needs to be built over time. It's not, a, it's not a sprint. There are challenges like the distance between us. The, we have uh, similarity of goods. So we need to find products that will work. What does South Africa need that Jamaica has? What does Jamaica need that South Africa has? And I can tell you things off the bat. Trading services is one area that we can cooperate uh, that overcomes the distance challenge. In terms of trading goods, we'd have to look at niche products. It's like for Jamaica's rum, coffee, spices. We, we have to be realistic also. We are a country of three million. We will not have enough to supply the market of 62 million. <laughs> so we have to be real. So we have to be creative in terms of how we approach trade. But it's not impossible. And in terms of learning from South Africa, you are you have made a lot of advances in um, advancing technology. Wow, there's so much we can learn from you. This continent um, is, is, is ripe for green energy. I visited Namibia just the other day, and you know they have projects that are being launched. So energy cooperation is something that we can do. So there are many things that we can do together, even though there are there is a challenge of distance. We just have to find a way around it. Distributorships, how can we get distributors here in South Africa to distribute Jamaican products in few areas? And then the other area is sports. Jamaica is a leader in sports, as we are um, in terms of track and field, and other areas, netball, we did do very well. We came number three in the world um, netball championships. It's just a right here in South Africa. And South Africa is also a sporting nation. So we can cooperate in those areas. As a matter of fact, as we speak, we have a delegation that went to Jamaica just last week to learn some of our best practices in sports. Hi, Commissioner, you have got such an exciting <laughs> portfolio. It really is wonderful. It is. And, you know, when you were talking about the, the tourism dynamic, our new tourism minister, Patricia Deville, she is so dynamic and she'll make things happen. When you talk about the aspect of sports, I mean, track and field, Jamaicans, I mean, we just have to think Hussein Bolt and your, your sure. women's track team just that speed and agility. And then when you talk about some of the cultural dynamics, I mean, Bob Marley is just synonymous I, I with don't. Jamaica. Yes. The other new and upcoming artists or even older artists, just the reggae. Yeah, We, we need to revive the reggae in Daba here in South Africa and get Jamaicans coming in. And then with the trade, yes, we've got uh, tremendous distances, but I think these days aspects of IP is something that is so transferable that you could kind of have Jamaica in South Africa and, and South Africa in Jamaica. That's right. Um, hi, Commissioner. So 
we've spoken about kind of like the, the big macroeconomic and your your vision and objective. Do you have any specific programs for women in particular? Well, in terms of women, as you know, Jamaica, um, I was sharing with you earlier that we have, uh, women have made great strides in Jamaica. Because, and it's largely due to the policies that we have put in place from, from very early. And this runs across all administrations. So we have a gender policy. We're seeking to have gender, well, gender equality. We're not there yet, but there are some things that we, we can share, we can cooperate with South Africa on, on some of these issues. I, I shared at a forum recently, I spoke about women in business, women in politics. We have had the first female prime minister in 2007 twice, first female foreign minister as well. So that is an achievement that we can we can replicate. We have women in business. We have women in the public sector. Like when you look at me in the, the foreign service, we are predominantly women. We look at the schools, the universities, predominantly women in university. We, we actually now have to try to reverse that dynamic because we need to have men. Gender really includes both men and women. So in terms of a specific program, one of the things that I would like to, to encourage is for South African women, women's groups, some of them I've spoken to, to visit Jamaica to see our model, see what we have done. I am quite willing and open to looking at women's programs here, visiting them, women's centers, because we have also implemented those programs and we have seen a measure of success in terms of empowering women. You're right. It is a journey. Um, but each year yeah. I'm confident that we see progress taking place. Yes. And Hi Commissioner, how did you get into a career in foreign affairs? I got in purely by accident. <laughs> I tell everybody that I finished my university degree and I said, now what am I going to do with this? And my a friend of mine at university said she was going to a career booth and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs was going to be interviewed. So she was good. And then she asked, so she said, so I said, okay, I'll hop along with you. So I just tagged along with her and that was it. the next day. Thing I knew I was offered a job at the ministry and I'm still there. So it was really by accident. But when I explored the ministry in terms of the, the career and the richness that you can acquire in terms of professional development, personal development, I liked it because the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade is very, it's a dynamic institution. One thinks that being a diplomat is just going to cocktails and so uh, very frivolous. It's not, it's a lot of hard work. So I started at the ministry at the protocol division. The protocol division is where I learned the nuts and bolts of diplomacy, where I learned how to, uh, you, you accord um, foreign nationals or foreign foreign diplomats. So I had to understand that. What does it mean to be a diplomat? So that intrigued me quite a lot. No, I'm an individual who I don't like to be static, just doing one thing over and over the same time. The foreign ministry affords you the opportunity to do several things, a lot of creativity. So I moved into the policy areas because I liked 
research, I liked reading, I liked writing, and I liked speaking. The, the ministry focuses on those skills. So I moved into the policy areas and um, I was exposed to the world. Multilateral diplomacy, bilateral diplomacy, and I liked it. And by multilateral diplomacy, you look at the United Nations, you look at the Commonwealth, you look at um, ACP, all these different multilateral institutions, and you see how you negotiate your position as a small country within these big organizations. And that intrigued me. So I did a stint at the United Nations. When Jamaica was a sitting member of the Security Council, I was a member of that Security Council. And it's a rare opportunity when Jamaica served. They only served twice. And I was privileged to have served 2000 to 2001 as one of the alternative representatives on the council. Now that, listen, that piqued my interest so much because you saw power in its rawest form because you have, you're sitting there as an elected member with the P5. They are the, the big the boys, so you saw power. I learned how it is as a small country, you can exercise soft power. And that was in, an intrigue for me. Jamaica, we looked at how we could become more transparent as a security council, reform measures on the security council. So we pushed those soft things. We didn't have the military might, but we had the moral might. And as a principled nation, we were able to have influence. We could negotiate between war and parties because we are friends of all and we are enemies of none. <laughs> and so we are in a very good position. You know, we're not at war with anybody. Wow. That is such an interesting perspective of how you're playing to your strengths and using the the moral and the soft cultural diplomacy to serve you in these affairs where, as you said, the big boys are there, they've got their strength, they've got their clout, and you're playing your own game. That's right. So so you learn a lot of the skill set that you learn being in the ministry. It's, it's, it's second to none. There, I don't think there's any other job that gives you this kind of, these kind of skills. So if you the language skills, you could build your language skills as well. I, I, I came in with Spanish major, but... When you have to interact with colleagues, you have to use them uh, from time to time. So it's very good, to, important to have a language skill. Yes, so I moved into different areas. I have moved um, from the political into the foreign trade. That's another part of the ministry. So I became, for five years, I was under secretary for trade. So I was looking at the multilateral trading issues, bilateral trading, and just how Jamaica maneuvers and how we manage our relations there. So that was also exciting. So I've done many things. So you become an expert at a lot of things. <laughs> you strike me as someone who has a, a huge appetite for knowledge and learning. I do. I do. I do. I'm always studying. <laughs> and it's not necessarily um, book things. I like the practical things. When I was right here in South Africa, one of the things that I did, I wanted to learn to do jewelry making. So there was I, I went and did jewelry making. I wanted to brush up on my culinary skills. I did a cooking course for, is it six months? And got a certificate. And then um, now I'm, I, I want to learn sewing. I have three children, so I need to learn how to sew. <laughs> but you know, you can't always be buying all these clothes. You need to learn to sew. I also 
um, this is a secret between me and you and the viewers. I'm also learning to ride a bicycle. <laughs> I should have done it when I was a child, but I am learning to ride a bicycle. And my husband is ensuring that I, I practice daily so that I can ride my bicycle. Wow. And you know what? You're not the first person in our, let's say, our, our mature age stage to tell me that mm -hmm. they're learning to ride a bicycle. A bicycle. Mm -hmm. Well done. But on a formal level, you've got your Bachelor of Laws from the University of London. You've got your Bachelor of Arts from the West, University of the West Indies. You've got your Master's in Public Policy from the American University in Washington, D.C. To what extent do you think your education has opened opportunities in the world of work for you? You know, one would ask, why is it that I did all these different things? I did them at different stages in life. At different stages, you need different things. I remember first degree, that's where I did the Spanish. Spanish, you know, you know a general arts degree, and you wonder what, what opportunities you'd have. It gave me a start in the foreign ministry. But what I found, after a while, you needed to build on some of these skills or build up other sk your skill sets. You need to have a basket of skills, not only one thing. And if, if I were to encourage other women, become multi-talented. Why not? So there it is, Bachelor of Arts, General with Spanish. Then I, I always wanted to do law, always wanted to do law. I admire the profession because I think it affords you a good thought process. You can analyze well. So I wanted to sharpen the analytical skills. So as, um, after four, four or five years in, in the, um, no, no, later on, I did law later on. I just did law in 2006. When I was working, in Washington, D.C., as a, the first secretary council, I did a master's in public administration and public policy. Now, I found that very intriguing. You have to look long term. I said to myself, you're not always going to be an officer doing the, call it the grunge work. You're going to have to lead people at one stage. So you, I need to develop leadership skills. That's why I chose public administration and public policy. So public policy was more or less in line with what I do. I have to learn how to make policy, fine. But public administration, as it was at the time, I learned management. You need to learn to manage people. Manage yourself first, <laughs> understand yourself first, and then manage other people. So that's why I did that. So that master's that I did at the American University was very, uh, it, it was a useful one on the job. In fact, I brought some creative skills to bear on the very job I was doing. At the time, um, I helped to modernize the consular section in Washington, D.C. And some of the practices that we have now, even in our wider public service, is uh, based on some of the things that I had implemented. For example, I said, if people would pay for delivery, um, effective delivery of service. So why can't we implement a rush passport system? So things like that. So we have that now. Um, I looked at um, just how we could use the few resources we have to make even more money. And we could put it back into the system to buy ourselves computers. So we, we, we paid for service. We let people pay for service, but then they, they saw the benefit of it. So, so that's, those are some of the skills that you learned. Then we, um, I, I went on to do law, as I told you. Oh, that was also very, very important for me because... When you have to negotiate, it's good to understand the legal framework. 
for things, negotiating techniques, understanding people, looking at them and understand where they're coming from and see how you can come up with a win-win situation. So law helps me with that. I also use the legal training in human rights. I did a, a little stint with the UN where we went to look at uh, human rights in Angola. I also used legal training when I went to Belize, where I was a senior legal officer looking at financial intelligence. <laughs> so that was another world, you know. But, but I say that to say the base in foreign affairs, having that kind of thinking, you can more or less adapt to any other situation. So there it is. I, I was not a an expert in human rights, but I could use the skills that I had before to help me to understand and to carry up my duties as a human rights officer. I could go to Belize. I could use the legal training to do financial intelligence, um, anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism, looking at um, I, I, that was a very good experience. That was also something that I, I learned a lot from. Fantastic, High Commissioner. You've had a, a very fulfilling career thus far, doing a whole range of, of really different things. I have to ask you this. You already mentioned that you've got three children. You have a husband. You're learning to yes. ride a bike. You <laughs> are representing your country across 19 countries in southern and eastern africa what are some of the tools that you use to help fulfill your ambitions but also manage all of these responsibilities well let me tell you it's not it's not easy i cannot sit here and tell you that i have a script it's something that day by day i just have to ask the lord for guidance so i pray i, I i'm a woman of faith a christian faith and both my husband and i we we have to pray together to find out how we're just going to balance this. I'm going to give you a practical thing that happened two weeks ago. He's also a professional. He's a legal professional. So he also has his business. He has his own business. So he does have to travel. Here am I, here is high commissioner, having to go here and there. So last week I had to go to Eritrea and Angola. He had to be in Barbados, Belize, and Jamaica for meetings. Same time. <laughs> how do we cope with that thankfully I have um, a support team at home that is what I have to ask other people to help my mother is there with me she's helping me with the kids so that's how I have to manage that I have to have a support team around me or I'll fail and then you just have to learn how to balance the work and balance the children because they say oh but they don't understand, you know, they don't understand no matter what. Oh, why, why, why aren't you here? You know, we have, we want to have a play date. And, you know, mommy, why aren't you here? And so on. So. And you have to balance that too. I find though, I learned this lesson very early or within the last 12 years, I learned this lesson from a former minister. He said to me, Joe, when you're in life, there are three priorities that you have. First priority, when you're a young person growing up, is your academics. You must try to excel, excel in your schoolwork and do well. Then, when you begin the working world, the next priority you have is career and your career development. 
then when you get if you have a family, the next priority is your family. Which one is the most important? And he says, yeah, think you have different milestones at different times and everything has a place at certain time. So you have to understand the time. And if now is the time for family, now is the time for family. So family must be the center first now at this point. And then the other things you work around that. So I use that as a guide. So there it is. Yes, I had to travel, but I had to make sure that my family was taken care of. And so the next time I know that maybe I might have to decline something um, professionally. Um, and then the family has to come first. For example, when I started a family, I took a break from the ministry. Three years I was away. You have to make those decisions. Sometimes you have to make some tough decisions. But it's, you, you need to know what season you're in. So this now is the season for family. There was a time, when, if, um, 20 years ago, it was a season for building career. Now is the season for family. So you take decisions based on the season that you're in. So my season now is family. I took three years off in 2015, 20, to deal with um, 2012, 2015. They're about to deal with family issues. I took a sabbatical away with my husband. I went to Belize. And even then, they did call me to do some work there. That's when I did the legal work. But we were there together with the family. Young, young family at the time. So I ha you have to take those kind of decisions. So it's not it's not easy. And some people may choose that they don't want to have the family first. That's their choice. But I believe that you can have them all. <laughs> But it's just a matter of the choices you make when you make them. And sometimes um, in my job is a lot of traveling. I may decide, all right, for this, this next trip, I might try to do it remotely. Why not do a remote thing and delay so that you can be there for their graduation? Why can't I delay so that I can be there to, to do a little play date with them? Why can't I delay a bit? Because you'll never capture these moments again. You know? You'll never. The career opportunities... I think they will come again, hey, you know, or if it doesn't come now, don't feel that, oh, I have to, I have to have it now. I've got to, I've got to be an eye commissioner now, 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 no, no. If you, it's all, it's all in your mind. You have to understand the season you're in, the time and what's important. So don't, that, that's the message that I will, will give you. It's a powerful message. And I really appreciate that you you shared that because it it comes from the heart. It comes through your lived experiences, and it's a it's a reality check. I, I love the view of the seasons of your life. It's not what's happening in someone else's life. What's happening in a ministry? It's the seasons of your life. What's important for you? And thinking about those stages, those advice elements of focus on your academics, then focus on your career. Then family becomes important. It's that that fusion. Yes. You're listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity. And today we're talking to the High Commissioner of Jamaica to South Africa, Joan Thomas Edwards, who is concurrently accredited, accredited to 18 other countries in Southern and East Africa. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. So, High Commissioner, we've just spoken about some of your ingredients that you use as as a coping mechanism and being very established within your ministry can you please tell us about a few women who've been important change agents in jamaica 
with there are so many, but I'll I'll pick out a few. In the foreign service itself, I'll I'll pick out one person who was a role model to me when I was growing up. She's the one who guided me. Her name is she's now deceased. Her name is Ambassador Patricia Durant. She was a trailblazer in terms of a career foreign service officer and an ambassador. And she I grew up with her tutelage. So I, I was one of her disciples. So I learned a lot from her. She had to break the glass ceiling was because at the time the foreign service was not one that it was rather male dominated. So to become an ambassador during the early 70s and so it was not easy. So I I, I always start with that say that I build on the shoulders of those who went before me, the women who went before. Ambassador Carmen Paris, also deceased, first female ambassador of Jamaica, Patricia Durant. Presently, those living, we have our own foreign minister, who is um, first female foreign minister. So that's quite an achievement, and we we quite admire the fact that we have a woman champion. First female prime minister was also um, Portia Simpson Miller. She broke the glass ceiling in 2006 when she became the first female and she served twice as prime minister. So those, when I look at the, the lives of all those ladies, they have really helped to shape me. But fundamental to that is looking at my own mother. <laughs> my mother, I would call a regular citizen, not necessarily, but somebody who inculcated the values that I have. So she's somebody, I'm thankful that she's still with me and um, still able to, to help me in many ways. But she's a strong woman, one who can't, is confident in herself. And you must always know yourself and know your own views and not be guided by other people. So through her, I also developed a strong sense of identity. So <laughs> I, I share a little story now. And I, I know I'm digressing, but this is peer pressure. I learned that I should be my own self. When I was going to school, at high school, I got a pair of shoes from an aunt. Now, my, it was a dear aunt of mine. But when I got the shoes, I noticed they were both the same color black, but there were two different shoes. One left, one right. Well, I decided at the wee age of 12, 30, that I'm still going to wear the shoes to school. And so I said, why are you going to wear the shoes? I'm going to laugh at you. I said, I don't care. I'm wearing my shoes. And I wore my shoes to school. They laughed at me. And after a while, I laughed back with them. And after a while, they stopped teasing. So that's one lesson. That my mother allowed me to do it. <laughs> I just don't wait if you want it. I like the shoes. But the lesson there is have an individual thought. No, don't allow yourself to be swayed and by others. And the peer pressure thing, you have to rise above that. So those are my lessons that I have to learn from strong women in my life because to succeed you really have to have a strong sense of self but sometimes you it's it's a lonely road what are some of the things that you've found have helped you attain that sense of self well i believe it's my faith primarily as i grew in faith and understood my purpose in life that helped me that helped to steer me to know that God had a path for me, He has a plan, and I just need to stick to that plan. It, so you can't, you have to drown out the maddening noise. Everybody has a different plan for you. So that's another thing. If you're not a strong person, people will define who you should be. 
people will look at you and say, oh, you're so, or you're from that class in life. So therefore you can only rise to them. People told me when I was doing, when I was doing some of the things that I told you I did, that's all was crazy. How are you going to take three years off the time in your career where you're going to be taken off? Why are you going to be taken off? If I follow people, why did you want to get married? You know, being single is better, but you know, you hear all sorts of things. So you have to know what God is saying to you and that uh, I know his purpose and that we build. That is what has helped to, to steer my, uh, my focus. So you have to keep focused and surround yourself with people who are equally focused too. If you surround yourself with the wrong people, you'll be misguided. And that's where you need God's wisdom to tell you who to trust, who to... So I have been very privileged. I've had some very good people in my life. Some are deceased now. A very dear friend, Carol Kirk, we served together in Washington. She's now passed on. But she was an excellent role model for me and one who could speak into my life and say, Joan, if you are going on the wrong path, that's not right. So look there, here, so somebody like her. So God places different people in your life at different times. I mentioned some of the other role models, but there is my mother coming up, um, strong aunts, my family, strong women, that's how they are, and very accomplished, and um, other professionals who I saw, and I modeled some of them. Thank you for sharing some of those insights and the, the the strength in yourself as an individual and also still at the same time being receptive to taking the right form of wisdoms as opposed to being, um, I don't know, controlled by... A clone. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be a clone. I tell other people, do not be a clone. You must not be a clone of other people. It happens all the time because it's very easy to fit in. Why do you want to stick out like a sore thumb and hear that, oh, you're a pariah because so-and-so? When you check it out, sometimes some of the people who are being ostracized, sometimes, they are definitely, they're forging their own path. And because they do not fit into the mold, you are ostracized. It happens. And I, I can speak from experience. You don't fit into the mold. So you, you hear all sorts of things about yourself. You hear, oh, you are you lack emotional intelligence, or you you know all sorts of things that you cannot measure or are quite subjective, you know. But you have to be careful. You have to have that wisdom to know what um know yourself, because people will def- try to define. Hi, Commissioner. It has been so wonderful chatting to you. I wish that we had more time, but as we are. At, at the end of our session today, please, can you share a few words of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to pass on to women and girls that are listening to us on the continent? Okay, a few words of wisdom, and it's really a summation of what I said. Um, know yourself. Don't be defined by other people. Know your tribe. Make sure you have the right people or you have a constituency there who can support you, be it family, be it friends, be it your church or your whatever your faith is, make sure you know your tribe. Make sure you um you know what season you're in. And just make sure that depending on your season, you make the right choices. But be yourself at all times for women. I know it's um 
this is the month of um, where we look at gender-based violence, the campaign. I just wanted to mention something on that. I know from the 25th, it's the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, and it's commemorated annually. And we in Jamaica, we are commemorating it under the theme of From Response to Preparedness, Eliminating Gender-Based Violence in Jamaica. And um, we have a 10-year plan in place, a national strategic plan to eliminate gender-based violence. It's something that I, I, I'm passionate about as well. And um, I believe in women, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not blaming women for this, but it's, it's something that, it's a lesson you need to learn. You need to understand ourselves, know ourselves, and not be defined by men. Put it that way. I'm not saying that there's not need for partnership between the two of us. There's a role for men, a role for women, but do not allow yourselves to be subjugated or played second fiddle like that, which is what happens why there is the gender-based violence. We, we all know the, the root causes of it. So one of the things I would um, encourage women to do is to invest in themselves, invest in themselves, in your education, whatever it is. I told you my story, invest in yourself. Surround yourself with other women, like-minded women. And if you are being in this situation in terms of being a victim of gender-based violence, seek help. Don't suffer in silence. That's one of the things I'd want to encourage women to do because it's across all spectrums. Educated women, um, people who are not educated, but make sure you know yourself and get help. I know I've digressed a bit, but I thought I should... Use the opportunity since it's we are observing the 15 days of activism against gender-based violence. I thought I should bring that in. Thank you, High Commissioner, for highlighting that because it is so important and it is a scourge and it's often called the second pandemic within the South African context of of Jamaica. Within Jamaica too. Yes, it's something that is worldwide. It's a big problem we have in Jamaica. In fact, the statistics tell us that um, one in four Jamaican women are suffering from that. So it's something that we have to fight together. It's something that I believe is very important that we, we have to talk about. It's a scourge. It's something that we hide on the carpets. But the more people talk about it, it is, it's the more we can fight this thing together. So true. And one is one too many. Right. Thank you, High Commissioner. We wish you all the very best as you embark on the next term, three, four years of being in South Africa and hope that you uh, really make inroads into all of those areas of sport, tourism, trade, arts and culture and forge ahead. Thank you so much once again. Take care. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me and all the best. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and we have been talking to the High Commissioner of Jamaica to South Africa, Joan Thomas-Edwards, who is concurrently accredited to 18 other countries from Southern and East Africa.